Welcome back to Geeks and Jocks. This is Brian Sullivan recording Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. Thank you for listening in. This is bonus episode number four. Definitely got a lot to talk about. Uh, Sometime soon, I'll be talking about when the first podcast of the new season begins. It'll be around mid-late September. Maybe the 14th, potentially, or the 21st, whatever the case, uh, that's when the new season will begin. So anyway, uh, for beginning the episode, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Breaker. Head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jocks. Over 80 episodes altogether, including the bonus episodes themselves. I've uh, got a lot to talk about here. Talk about GTA as a whole with uh, potential remasters. The death of comedian Trevor Moore. Uh, a couple political things to begin, which I'll get to in a minute. And some other stuff like MTV turning 40 earlier in the month. The downfall of the Chicago Cubs and much more. So, very briefly, I'll get into the political stuff. Uh, usually, I don't look at this show as a political podcast, but there are times where it does have to be discussed. And uh, briefly, going to mention the thing, the situation in Kabul, Afghanistan. Uh, this is going to be looked at as a huge failure on President Joe Biden egg on his face, as well as uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. I have a bad gut feeling that there's going to be some very lethal consequences going on, and honestly, Biden looks like a complete idiot. He really does. (laughs) Especially nearing uh, 20 years since September 11th, and uh, 80 years come December of Pearl Harbor, going to create a lot of fear for for many people in the world just hope things don't escalate but my gut tells me something bad's going to happen and the uh, other thing the resignation of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, recently there was a thing that occurred where I think like 11 women s- s- like said something in regards to the sexual harassment and stuff that he did, which has been a story uh, what, like five months ago, I think. And with all the stuff going on, when the the dog piling, which you know whether you think that's good or bad, it's up to you. Um, he resigned, and his last day is going to be next week on the twenty fourth. And that brings in a new governor, um, the lieutenant governor, Kathy Hockle, I think, Hochul. So there might be things that are going to change for the better, for the worse. Uh, All I can say is good riddance and maybe maybe take his brother with him too. (laughs) See these billboards, um, digital billboards that... uh, Bye-bye, love, gov, take your brother with you. Bye-bye, King Cuomo, take Fredo with you. (laughs) 
that is that's got to be a big disaster as well with um, CNN. Like the fact that they keep allowing Chris Cuomo to uh, still be on the network. Like, like it's bad enough to be losing ratings real badly, but to have this guy still on there, any other network would have just gotten rid of him. Seriously. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was a quick little uh, political spiel of a couple things going on. Uh, so, how about we jump into sports? Definitely a lot of stuff that's happened over the last month, beginning with uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks winning the uh, NBA championship uh, almost exactly a month ago. And I think it's a big boost for the NBA that it's some team that isn't a powerhouse one, that isn't built on getting a core trio of people together. It's not a super team by any stretch. And with the way they played this year, I mean, pretty deserving. And it helped Milwaukee get its first championship in 50 years. You have to go all the way back to the early 70s when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was one of the big sensations of the NBA back in the 70s. Big deal. Big, big deal. And it certainly was a big deal for the NBA as it had the Phoenix Suns in there too. Uh, Phoenix had never won a uh, championship. They last were in the finals in uh, 1993, losing to the Chicago Bulls, uh, led by Chris Paul. And this team started off strong, and then they fizzled out. Just the way the game was played, it just... You know, underdog. Milwaukee was, and they found a way to get past the 2-0 hump and able to win the last four. Not sure I call it title town yet if if the Green Bay Packers uh, screw up again in the NFC Championship game or some other game of that equivalency. <laughs> uh, definitely a big boost for the NBA, but definitely not as big a boost as many probably were hoping. In the midst of all that, uh, ratings were definitely an improvement, but they were not in the double-digit million figures. I think in the at the end, I think it just missed uh, 10 million altogether. I think it averaged like 9.8, 9.9, which is a huge improvement over uh, last year, but still not enough. Some could argue the small teams, you know, small market teams. Uh, sure, maybe, but you got some big name people, and honestly, I think it's refreshing to see a team that isn't a LeBron James led team and isn't Golden State Warriors too. I think that's what helped it a little bit. It helped a little bit that there wasn't any like political messaging or any of that all around the court, it, and that there wasn't wasn't preoccupied with other things that weren't related to. Uh, basketball uh, speaking of which with the NBA boy the controversies like with all the stuff regarding 
like there was like an incident from last year, just a spiel between like ESPN's uh, Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. I know this, I know this is old news and whatnot, but I mean the the day that the Bucks won the uh, championship, uh, Taylor was done at ESPN because allegedly she was looking for an $8 million a year contract. And if I'm being honest, she's not that valuable. And I'm not trying to, to, to degrade Taylor by any stretch, but the only thing she's done from what I've seen is college football sideline stuff and NBA countdown. I'm I'm struggling to see if she where she's worth that much money. I mean, I'm sure she'll find other offers. There's tons of ESPN reporters that find other opportunities at other networks. Very rarely do other net, other people go to ESPN. And one of the uh, other things uh, recently in the past week outside of basketball was auto racing in the passing of uh, Bob Jenkins. Uh, Bob Jenkins was a, I didn't know he was a, he was an Indiana guy and got to love the Indianapolis 500, get to be around it for many years. Like the, the thing I know of in regards to, to Jenkins is him being such an integral part of ESPN from 1981 all the way up through 2000. ESPN, it, it's hard to imagine ESPN being that focused on sports. They're, the stuff they had was mostly college sports. And ESPN being able to grab like one of the, one of the bigger sports of of the decade and to see it grow exponentially, you know, getting NASCAR and having speed week and all this other stuff home to many races over the years, including, you know, the final Riverside race, North Wilkesboro, the 1992 season, season finale at Atlanta, the Hooters 500, I believe it was called to see, an underdog in Alan Kowicki, uh, Richard Petty's last race, the first race to see Jeff Gordon, Bob Jenkins covering these races. It's just unbelievable the the career he covered, and he still covered stuff for many years until 2012. But I'd say without a guy like him, he, like like he had an energy to it, but he did it professionally. Like, he really provided great entertainment as a broadcaster. Just just the knowledge he had of auto racing, along with um, Larry Newbar in the early 80s up until uh, 87, and to do races with NASCAR legend Ned Jarrett and former driver Benny Parsons, like, that was a good crew, and I, when I think of NASCAR, like the best, like broadcasting crews, I I think a little bit of uh, you know like the Fox guys, you know, 
for those three, Jenkins, Jarrett, and, and Parsons, they all did races together for about 11, 12 years. That's pretty good and consistent. And to see some of the big races, like I said, and, you know, unfortunate uh, to see the passing of Jenkins, uh, who passed away from uh, cancer, only 73 years old. It's not, it's not old, old, but still, you think, I didn't think he was that, that young. Like, I figured maybe, well, I didn't think he was that old, excuse me, I thought maybe he was like late 60s or something because he looked so young in some of those early ESPN broadcasts. And actually, the auto racing has been pretty good recently for NASCAR considering Kyle Larson was able to win his fifth race of the year at Watkins Glen a week ago. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger, part-time race, uh, winning it at the Indy Road Course. Sounds like it was a big disaster altogether. And I do think they're trying to overdo on the whole road course thing. I think it's a nice idea altogether, but I, I, I don't think they should be rushing this stuff quickly. It worked for Charlotte. It worked for Daytona. Like Maybe we should ease up a little bit bef- and maybe give these a test before the before giving this uh, a huge shot, especially at the biggest cup series. Uh, that's just my take on it. Uh, I, think, I think from the sounds of it, it just seems like NASCAR is not listening to drivers at times. And it's just going to boil over at some point. <laughs> it did for uh, Denny Hamlin, who was uh, in first place and got taken out by Chase Briscoe. Uh, Hamlin is yet to win a race this year. Got knocked out from first place in points. I don't even know who's even first place. But there are definitely going to be some interesting choices. Like, uh, I believe Brad Keselowski is going to... uh, I believe he's going to Roush Racing... Uh, at for next year, I'm gonna look that up. But pretty good run for uh, pretty good run for him at Penske. Uh, yeah, he's gonna be driving the number six car next year. That really says something. They're gonna try and get a, a driver that has the experience of knowing how to win races. They haven't had a stable guy since Mark Martin. Mark Martin was like the premier guy of the six car and for Roush Racing. And I believe for uh, Hendrick, I believe Jeff Gordon is going to have a big role. I, th- I forget what it is, but he's no longer going to be with Fox after this year. I'm going to look at that for a second. It, he has a big role. Uh, just looking for I think he's got like part yeah vice chairman of Hendrick Motorsports hmm I mean he that was his only team throughout his entire career Hendrick Motorsports 
four championships, 90-plus wins. If there's a guy that knows how to help with Hendrick, it would be someone like him. It would probably be someone like Jimmy Johnson if he was put in that opportunity. Just crazy. (laughs) You know, get some fresh blood, even though Gordon's 50 years old. Uh, Very quickly with football, definitely some forced uh, vaccination stuff going on. Definitely trying to make sure that things don't go south like it did at certain points during the season. There were a couple of Tuesday night football games. Uh, some, some players are definitely scared about getting it from, you know, one of the examples was, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think it just comes to the point of where, you know, I think there was something I saw, like, like the question mark was the vaccine rushed. And I don't blame a guy like Hopkins for not wanting to take it because what are the, what are the side effects, you know, from a rushed vaccine? Not that I'm saying they're all rushed, but, you know, not everyone is willing to take the shot. But there are some consequences if uh, unvaccinated players uh, wind up with COVID and a number of the other players get infected with it. I believe one of the big consequences is a forfeit for the team that had the outbreak they're definitely going to be fans, but with the Delta variants, man, I don't know. There might, I mean, they're trying to get full capacity. We are, we are trying to get to uh, a form of normalcy again. So I, I, I don't know. It, it'll be an interesting test, especially when uh, we start seeing games at MetLife, uh, Buffalo, uh, Wells, New England. With uh, Green Bay, at Lambeau, Soldier Field, trying to think of other like uh, both Ohio stadiums. When when it gets to like twenty degrees, it gets cold out. The snow. I was just thinking, uh, what about some of the playoff games? I know that's way too long down the road, but man, I'd be a little nervous. I'd be really nervous, but definitely some uh, teams excited to get some of their players back, get some of the people that uh, took the year off from COVID. It'll be interesting to see where teams go, whether some do much better with uh, some of their players returning or if they struggle immensely. Speaking of struggling immensely, I'll talk about the uh, Chicago Cubs. The fact they got rid of a lot of their players is shocking and sad at the same time. Because this October and November marks five years since their playoff run and winning the World Series for the first time since 1908. They got rid of Chris Bryant, who went to San Francisco. Craig Kimbrell stayed in Chicago, being with the White Sox. Anthony Rizzo is a New York Yankee. And Javier Baez with the New York Mets. And that's a team that's been on the rise. The Yankees have been playing much better baseball since the All-Star break ended. Certain teams, like the AL East is pretty loaded. I think uh, 
Boston got Kyle Schwarber. Toronto got a few guys themselves, and Tampa Tampa definitely got some power, I believe, at the plate. So it's it's going to be one of the tightest divisions by the time you uh, get to the end of September. Let's see the record. Uh, the White Sox are actually struggling a little bit right now, losing four of their last five prior to uh, winning winning tonight against... Uh, well, prior to winning their latest game against uh, Oakland, I believe. I mean, let's see how many teams have... Three, four... Eight teams in the AL East have 60 wins or more. A couple teams are... Pretty close. The the LA Angels are one win away from sixty. They're not having as bad a season as I thought, but still not good. Uh, Cleveland Indians and the Detroit Tigers are pretty close, though. They're under five hundred. Fifty-seven wins for Cleveland. Fifty-eight for Detroit. LA Dodgers got themselves stacked up pretty well as uh, the Nationals traded away a few of their players, including Max uh, Scherzer and Trey Turner. Whew, one in nine in the last ten games, the Nationals. <laughs> Cubs have lost 12 straight now, losing to Cincinnati. Joey Votto hitting 2,000 hits for his career. That's pretty impressive. 303 lifetime average. San Francisco leading the way with 76 wins all across the majors. San Diego's struggling a little bit. I'm trying to see. Cincinnati's almost on the verge of being a wild card team. Atlanta starting to pick up a little bit, especially with the scare of uh, the season-ending injury of Ronald Acuna. Philadelphia not too far behind. It's going to be tight between those two and the Mets in the East. Unless uh, Milwaukee has a... Uh, big losing streak at some point. Cincinnati better hope uh, San, San Diego struggles. And actually, they got embarrassed with a no-hitter by Arizona uh, recently, over the weekend. That tells you anything can happen, but this was a team, the Diamondbacks, they looked okay. They began the year decently. They have lost much more games than you would think. Uh, 38 and 81, 38 and a half games behind uh, San Francisco. Unbelievable. Actually, Baltimore's lost 12 straight as well, I believe, or 11 straight. Mariners are still in it somewhat. So, there's some good stuff here. Actually, speaking of uh, the LA Angels from a few minutes ago, um, the All-Star game from a month ago was pretty interesting, and I didn't know about it after until after uh, recording the last episode, the last bonus episode of Stephen A. Smith being xenophobic towards Shohei Otani because he didn't speak English. Why doesn't ESPN fire this guy? 
Seriously. This guy is a highlight person. He's finally starting to show why the Angels picked him up three years ago. Hitting home runs like crazy, pitching decently. I would argue maybe he's a little overrated, but he's putting on a clinic. He's making people want to watch the Angels. The Angels are doing okay. They're not doing great, but they're not having as bad as yours. I thought they were going to struggle. Joe Madden just finds ways to to struggle, maybe just figuring out the team. Maybe they're a playoff team in a couple of years or so. I don't know. And other issues with uh, baseball, Trevor Bauer uh, put on leave for some sexual harassments. And I think that's part of the reason why I look at the L.A. Dodger thing of getting a guy like Scherzer. This is a guy that you need, especially when it comes to clutch baseball. And supposedly, they a lot of the Dodger players don't want Bauer back. So I think it's a testament to the weirdness of Bauer and how despised he probably is. A lot more despised than I think people want to realize. Could be potentially, he may not pitch a game in the MLB again, ever. I mean, I, there's there's no there's no words you can say about it. He's just an idiot. Just just despicable. I mean, there might be some things I might agree on, but not a lot. Just he, I know he has his issues with baseball, with MLB in general. MLB definitely needs a lot of fixing, and they're looking for potentially next year to get rid of the the shift. Try and. I think they're going to remove the whole extra inning thing of uh, having a runner on second. I think as a whole that's failed as a as a concept. And one or two other things to try and make baseball better and, I don't know, try to make the game, you know, experienced in three hours or less than three hours. Games do take forever. We do need to find a way to uh, get. We need. We do need to find a way to get games shorter. But I don't know what you can do to make it shorter. Anyway, uh, one last thing: Field of Dreams game seems like it was a huge hit uh, from last week. It was pretty cool. The only thing I think they should have done was try and do it when uh, the movie turned thirty. Back in uh, 2019. I mean, it's one of the more beloved baseball films of all time. I just... There was a headline I saw. There might be a... There might be a TV show on the way. I'm not sure if that will translate well. There was... There was a... uh, I think there was plans at some point to do a Sandlot TV show. I don't think nothing's... I don't think anything's materialized at any point unless I'm reading something wrong. 
I haven't heard anything about it since well, it was like I think it was like last year or two years ago. I think I think the Sandlot will work a lot better as a TV show than Field of Dreams. Uh, but I do think Field of Dreams you could get like some of them, you know, portray some of these legendary uh, ball players from the early 20th century. I think it'd be cool. Actually, it was also pretty cool that uh, Kevin Costner went went to the Field of Dreams game. So that so that's pretty pretty sweet to see. I mean, it was a thrilling game altogether. It'd be pretty cool to see uh, more games played in uh, Iowa. I think it would. I think it would be something that baseball should embrace. Speaking of embracing, maybe we should uh, look at movies for a minute because, or or a bit longer. <laughs> uh, audiences are not embracing some of the films. I think I was looking at some of these numbers and so this one for this past weekend uh, Free Guy which is a video game comedy starring Ryan Reynolds did really well in theaters its first weekend and it's part of a idea that Disney is doing uh, 45 days only in theaters exclusively before heading on to streaming or home video or whatever 28 million the budget is around 100 million so Disney's not going to take a huge bath on it but and if there's any profit it's probably going to be a small amount and audiences are enjoying it for what it is I think what helps this film is that it's not a rehash sequel it's not a horror film it's not a comic book film or any other thing either. And I think that's what helped it a bit. And this comes off of uh, other films debuting and just and just struggling. It'll be interesting to see if it has any strong legs heading into uh, weekend number two. Some of the other new films included uh, Don't Breathe 2, which the original did pretty well. Uh, five years ago. Uh, definitely will make some money based on its budget. According to Box Office Mojo, it was a $15 million budget. And not as well received compared to the original. What horror film doesn't, for, for the most part? Should definitely make at least probably $25, $30 million. And the other film that did uh, pretty decent... Uh, was uh, Respect, which is uh, the the biopic of Aretha Franklin, made over $8 million. Uh, I believe that film's budget, according to Box Office Mojo, was uh, $55 million. Definitely a little pricey, but eh, maybe, maybe it gets a decent run altogether. And these three all beat out the Suicide Squad. So I'm going to go and talk about Warner Brothers and the big gambles they took with um, this film and Space Jam A New Legacy. So Space Jam A New Legacy came out uh, about a month ago. 
And my predictions were that it was going to underperform and be a failure. And I'm right. This film is not going to reach the 90 million domestically that the original did. It's nearing 70 million, and it probably will be right around there. I'd say anywhere between 70 to 73, 74 million will be its final total here domestically. Probably will make about anywhere from, I think, 150 to 160 million worldwide altogether, uh, pending if China is okay with having this film. Not well received. It was panned pretty badly. And some people might be thinking, why did this movie not do well? Some people act like it's because of... uh, It's hard to put it together, you know, why this was a failure. I think if COVID didn't exist, this movie would still fail. But I don't think the bleeding of the $150 million at the minimum to $185 million budget, wherever this budget is, and you add in much more for marketing, advertising, this is a film that was going to struggle regardless. I think, like I said, if COVID didn't exist, it would still struggle, but it wouldn't be severe in its failure. You also have HBO Max, which is, you can watch the film for free. You don't have to spend 30 bucks on it. And this is something that I thought about uh, last year when the uh, Trolls film came out, uh, the Trolls sequel. You know, not everyone wants to go to the movie theaters. They'd be scared to see it, see a film in the theater because of COVID. For a family of four, family of five, you make your pop you make your own popcorn, you have your own drinks at your own discretion, you have your own candy, you can sit anywhere you want. You can warm yourself up in a fire uh if it was because that movie came out in the spring. Uh you can feel comfortable in your own home watching a movie via streaming. That's at least how I look at it. And I think the same thing only except you don't need blankets to watch Space Jam. <laughs> um, yeah, I think LeBron James as a whole, he's not exactly a shining beacon of light in how he's been the last couple of years with his, with the China stuff and the NBA, his political stances, what he says on Twitter... His mouth, I think, hurts him quite a bit more than he realizes. So there aren't people that are going to watch it because of the way his behavior is. There's probably one or two other factors as well. Uh, Joe Pica, who directed the original, blasted the film and tried to defend the original. I think he tried too hard to defend the original because, yeah, you have... Some of these other superstars, yeah, you have Bill Murray, Danny DeVito, whatever. Uh, the original was not liked either. And I see people try and be like, oh, it's people that are nostalgic, they're just blasting the sequel. 
the original was not liked either. So, it, my thoughts on the original Space Jam is that it's not a good film. But I do think it has its moments. I think its best stuff comes when the basketball game begins. And maybe a little bit before it, when they finally group together to see to see Jordan do what he does best when he practices. The slapstick being there. I'd say even like some of the scenes where they where the players that lost their talent they struggle and they just, <laughs> oh man just and the soundtrack I mean the soundtrack yeah it's godly it's a really good soundtrack but it's not a good film and I think some of these networks ride on the wave of nostalgia from people that that watch it and nostalgia can only take you take you to certain places and nostalgia was not enough to save uh, New Legacy uh, the Suicide Squad uh, well received well liked only made like 27 million I think it was the debut weekend only made seven million this past weekend. That's a huge drop, especially for a film that has a budget of a hundred and eighty five million dollars. I think it comes down to and I see similar comments that I've seen online, and I would be more than inclined to agree. Uh, maybe people felt like this movie wasn't gonna be good because the original was not well received, despite a huge opening. Uh, COVID obviously played a factor. HBO Max played a factor. Just people are just not interested, and I don't know. Maybe people are just not interested in watching Margot Robbie and some of these other actors. And this is something that this is not to discredit Margot Robbie by any stretch of the imagination, but. Birds of Prey, when that came out last year, people liked it, but it didn't get enough people. And I think people are not solely interested in some of these characters that are not well-known. Harley Quinn is well-known in some aspects, but she's not she's not a character that people are into. Or at least non-super fans are into. And I would say this as a whole, Margot Robbie's not a box office draw. I would say some of these other actors are not either. I think some of the other names were uh, Michael Rooker is in it, Viola Davis. Let's see. I'm just trying to try and find uh, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, 74% on, on Metacritic. James Gunn, the director, so he's got comic book uh, directing experience with the uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy films. So let's see. So John Cena's in it. That's a shocker. Pete Davidson. Well, Idris Elba. Stol- Sylvester Stallone being in it. That's a surprise. I'm trying to look for other names like Nathan Fillion. 
like I said, uh, Rooker, Davis, like, I don't know how many of these. Uh, speaking of Elba, uh, he's going to have his hand in another property with voicing Knuckles in the uh, the Sonic sequel that's coming out uh, next April. Just a quick little snippet on that. and I think it makes sense, kind of. But be interested to see where they go with it. And uh, probably not enough of a plot to do like Sonic 2. So probably combine like Sonic 2 and 3 and Knuckles all together. Just go off topic for a second. Uh, but yeah, the Suicide Squad and Space Jam and New Legacy are going to cost Warner Brothers quite a bit of money. They're going to lose some money. And I'll go on about the comic book stuff for a for a second as well in regards to Disney. But the last time there was a huge gamble on an animated project of Warner Brothers, it caused many projects to get canceled when uh, Looney Tunes back in action, which did better reception-wise compared to Space Jam, but didn't make any money or make any sort of profit. There were a number of animated films that they were making and they dropped them because of Looney Tunes back in action being a failure I think as a whole Looney Tunes just doesn't have the notoriety compared to uh, where it was even like 30 years ago and I think it does make me a little nervous when if they whenever they put out, say, Tiny Toons University and some of these other ones. It makes me nervous a little bit because do, do they have confidence in some of these older properties? And especially, I mean, because Tiny Toon Adventures had the Looney Tunes involved a little bit as well. It's a side, it's a side show type of thing, I, in my opinion you know, the following in the footsteps of the Looney Tunes and some of the comedy bits and parodies. But then again, Animaniacs getting a couple more seasons as as well. So maybe, I mean, there's reason to be hesitant, but there's reason to be happy that, you know, if Tiny Toons University does well, then maybe it gets two, three more years on HBO Max. That's just my take on it as far as Warner Brothers goes. So, to Disney. So, Disney... doing okay, I would think. Jungle Cruise has been a hit so far. But some of their comic book stuff... eh, I'd be a little worried some. Uh, Because Black Widow did not do well in the theater. I mean, it made money, but... when you have a $200 million budget, probably the weakest performance in a good while for Marvel Studios and, uh, and Disney. To the point where <laughs> where uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, filed like a lawsuit against Disney. And there were a couple instances where... There was like a couple other actresses that were looking to uh, maybe sue as well for for contract stuff. I think there was something about something like box office returns and like 
the movie being only in theaters. It was supposed to come out last year, but obviously it didn't because of COVID. Uh, but I think she wanted, I think Johansson wanted stuff renegotiated, and I don't know, Disney being a little hesitant or ignorant for that matter. Uh, I believe they called out how much she got paid. I believe it was $20 million, which that's pretty high, but you also have to look at it at the same time with some of these um, celebrities. Johansson's not A-list tier, but she's almost there. And when it comes to celebrities with these huge paychecks, it, it's not ongoing to them. You know, when you if you're someone like, say, a George Clooney, for example, or... I don't know who else, like a Matt Damon. You got security with you. You got you got your agents. You got your accountants. You know, you have people that are that you're paying to make sure you do okay and you're not wasting all your money willy nilly. At least that's how I look at it. So I think that's pretty bad on Disney's part to even mention that. It's just makes them look even more pettier. But whatever the case, uh, whether they settle out of court or Disney wins, I don't know. I think a couple other actresses from other films were looking to do the same thing, but... Uh, anyway, it's not like they, she was going to return anyway, because, I mean, Disney cut their ties. Um... Uh, and the Marvel stuff that they've been doing, I mean, it's going to be a lot different with their Phase 4 thing. and Which brings me up to this Shang-Chi film that's going to come out on Labor Day weekend. Uh, I don't know. I don't think this film's going to do well. I think it's going to fail. I think with the rising, the Delta variant COVID and many cases coming up... I think it's going to be a tough sell to see this movie do really well. Wouldn't be surprised if it's got anywhere from 150 to 200 million dollars in uh, in budget, probably a bit more in advertising. Whenever they start advertising it more heavily, uh, I don't think it being mostly an Asian dominated dominated cast is going to uh, hurt it. I think just, you know, the, the pandemic. Uh, I don't, And it's not going to uh, Disney Plus, actually. It's not going to be a premium, uh, to the premium thing of paying $30. But... It just seems like Marvel is scraping at the bottom of the barrel with with their films, with with what properties they can bring up. Something like something like Guardians of the Galaxy, it was doing something different, and you had people that were recognizable. Was it was yeah, like Dave Bautista, Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, uh, Bradley Cooper. I'm trying to think of like. Uh, I, Stallone might have been in one of the films. Uh, Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Tessa Thompson. Like These are names that you can recognize. 
Like it's easy to recognize Jordan and, and Thompson. Actually, I actually like like those two. They they they've done the the first two Creed films and they've done really well as as a whole in terms of their performances. Can't wait to see uh, Creed three uh, next year. But yeah, it, there's a recognizability and just there's more interesting stories to some of these characters. We'll look at that for a minute. When did Marvel Black Panther come out? Because I, I'd like to know when these came out. 1966? Wow. That's, like, yeah. You're not, I mean, it's a recognized character. Very recognized character. And I think Guardians of the Galaxy has some recognizability. Definitely has blown up over the last seven years because of the uh, because of the movies. So Shang Chi, I gotta look at that because it, it sounds like a more modern, a more modern uh, comic. See when they first debuted. Shang Chi. So first seventy three. Okay, I apologize. I thought it, it just sounded like more like nineties, like Deadpool. At least that's how I look at it. But I do think they are running out of ideas on like which people to bring in. And I, I'm trying to figure out the the one film that comes. I think it comes out in November. I, I'm trying to find it. What is the film? Eternals. That's what it is. Eternals is the film that I would be checking to see because. It's Chloe Zhao as the director, and her choice words about China may be one of the big factors into why it may not do well as uh, may not do well compared to some of these other Marvel films. And it's they're, they're tr- both of those films are trying to do like diversity and stuff. I think people don't mind diversity as long as it's not forced. I don't think the Shang-Chi film will feel forced in diversity. But I'm not sure if it, people are going to go see it. I look at it kind of similar to something like a Doctor Strange. Or an Ant-Man for example. Ant-Man, I don't think Ant-Man made $200 million domestically for both films. Actually, look at that for a minute because I think I think the uh, I want to look into that because 2016 Captain not Captain uh, Doctor Strange. Okay, Doctor Strange did better than I thought. Two two twenty nine that came out in November. 
So, hold on, let me look at that for a second. Grossed. When did that come out? Huh. So it did come out that November. Still did pretty well, all things considered. Uh, I'm just curious because I know the Thor films, at least the first couple Thor films, they didn't exactly set the world on fire. Ant-Man made $180 million. I think 2018 was Ant-Man and the Wasp. Let's see where that is. Where are you? Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse did $108 million. Oh, by the way, the... Uh, oh, 216 okay. I thought they did worse. I thought the sequel did worse. Maybe maybe worldwide they weren't huge they weren't huge altogether, but eh. Okay, I just the reason why I get why I, I thinking these movies did worse is because I'm just thinking at the time the one offs and some of this other stuff, like Captain America made hundred and seventy six mil, the first Avenger film. Well, hundred eighty one mil for Thor. I think this was before they really tried to expand it more and more before people finally realized, okay, they're trying to get everyone to watch these films. But yeah, it's it just... Add in the pandemic and the 45-day thing for uh, being in theaters only. Uh, Bob Chipek, the CEO of Disney, was... Uh, calling it an experiment and it angered I believe his name is Simu Lu and blasting Chipek for that for that statement which I don't blame him I mean I don't think the movie's going to do well but I wouldn't want to be called an experiment for something that probably felt like a passion project for him to be involved in but like I said I don't think I think, like I said, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel to, for these superhero films. I don't think this will do well. I don't think Eternals is going to do well. They're not going to set the world on fire like a Doctor Strange or a Black Panther or a Guardians of the Galaxy. They're not going to be attractive like an Iron Man or a Spider-Man. Here's why people will want to keep watching Spider-Man. Because it's interesting stories about how he deals with multiple villains. There's a lot of supervillains that Spider-Man has to deal with. Throughout his run in the comics. Going through Dr. Octopus and Green Goblin and many others in the Sam Raimi trilogy. like And just jugg- the juggling between... And just resonating with like young adults and teenagers because it was a teenage character. I just hope for Spider-Man. I believe it got pushed back. There are movies that are getting pushed back now. I believe Venom 2 got pushed back. I read something on that. Pushed back to October. I mean, there's a lot of films that are getting pushed back. I know Jackass Forever got pushed back to October. That's usually when those movies come out. Uh, I'll talk briefly on that. I saw the trailer for it. 
uh, seems kind of interesting. One of the bigger things going on right now is Bam Margera suing uh, Johnny Knoxville and Paramount for firing him, and I, I don't think I don't think Knoxville and the group are trying to. I don't think they were trying to fire him on purpose, but if you look at Bam's behavior for the most part, it's. I don't think he's going to last much longer, and I hate to say that, but it just seems like when uh, Ryan Dunn uh, died 10 years ago, it's just. I think part of Bam died inside of. Part of Bam died inside, and just. They tried to help. The Jackass crew tried to help him, but it just. Just kept getting crazier and crazier, and just. I think. I don't know if he tried. I don't know if he filmed some of his stuff or not, but just maybe some of his ideas just weren't stuff that they were willing to do, which is always something with Jackass. I mean, there's certain stuff that they'll refuse to do, even if even if it's funny. But probably the stuff... I mean, maybe just the stuff was not good enough. So, I mean, be interesting to see where this movie goes. I'm... Maybe I might see it in theaters. Maybe I won't. But, yeah, just... If this is truly the last Jackass film, hopefully it ends on a funny note. Uh, Speaking of comedy, talking about uh, moving on to television, the shocking death of uh, Trevor Moore. Uh, Last week, a little over a week ago, actually, uh, Trevor Moore found dead at his L.A. home by his wife, Amy Carlson, at 2.30 in the morning, dead on at the scene. 41 years old. And this is something I'll talk about uh, with him. Uh, so 20 years ago, he formed a sketch comedy group called The Whitest Kids You Know. And they had multiple members, but it was mostly a five-member group. He founded it. His other group members included uh, Sam Brown, Zach Kreger, Darren Trumeter, and Timmy Williams. And these were guys that did sketch comedy in New York City. Most of them were at the School of Visual Arts in Brooklyn, which... I mean, that's where I feel like that's where you, some of these guys get their big breaks. If it's not in Chicago or Los Angeles, it's going to be like New York. And did stuff for a number of years before getting their own TV show, which the sad thing out of it is it's going to turn 15 in March. Ran for five years. They've done their own stuff here and there. Um, last year, they began doing some of their own. They began talking about stuff. Actually, you know, talking about some of their old sketches and doing some other things. Uh, more, I didn't know he did t- Disney shows. He created a show called Walk the Prank and also did another show called Just Roll With It. So he definitely was building up his resume a bit. And the, the Whitest Kids um, did a movie called Mars. It's in post-production, and 
with the death occurring of him, uh, there were statements issued by a joint one by Sam and Zach. Uh, Timmy Williams put out his own statements. And it is such a huge shock. You know, the only thing I think would be more shocking was the murder of Phil Hartman back in 1998. I mean, because, I mean, this was a guy that, Trevor Moore, that the way that he did the he did comedy, it was it was just ridiculous and absurd and over the top. And I've been a fan of this group for about eleven years. Like I didn't know about these guys until like twenty ten, like the summer of twenty ten. And I don't know how I first watched it. I think it was YouTube, which I think is where you'll find the whitest kids sketches. You'll find a lot of them because they're not being removed bluntly by their company that that aired them. It, like you're able to, it's like watching in living color. You'll be able to find a crap ton of sketches. Like, for In Living Color, you're going to find a lot of the Homie the Clown sketches. You're going to find a lot of Ugly Wanda. You're going to find a lot of Fire Marshal Bill. Whitest Kids, you're going to find a lot of their, at least their first few seasons sketches. You're going to find the Abe Lincoln sketches. You're going to find various space sketches. Like, you're going to find Earthquake sketch. Like, they pull on like repeat gags, repeat character names, like like it is cheap, like cheap production, but it's still hilarious. You get moments where you know the the group is just goofing off and and just making jokes out of like simple things, and they overdo it. And they just, like, they just roll with it. And they create some really dark moments that are hilarious, but it does make you think a little bit. And just, they created their own niche thing of comedy, and that's why they still get some form of recognizability even 15 years later. You know, they're, it's just exaggerated comedy they did a lot of takes on specific things it just all together it's just pretty underrated sketch comedy show it's always like it's always like the smaller sketch comedy shows that manage to resonate I think with people a lot more than Saturday Night Live or I'd say even a mad TV just due to the kind of stuff they target and just make fun of Whitey's kids, they don't care what they're targeting. They're gonna they're gonna poke fun no matter what. And yeah, I think I think Trevor Moore had about I'd say ten, fifteen more years of of doing stuff in, in Hollywood and T V. Uh very unfortunately it's behind his wife and a child. I think 
the best way I think it's been said by I think some of the other whitest kids and a few other people uh, just remember him for the stuff that he did that was funny like just re- remember a lot of his sketches he like he could be calling collective in one sketch and then be overreacting in another he could be singing in one and or just be just be normal in another that's the best way I could say it. Uh, the only other TV thing I'll briefly mention is MTV. It turned 40 at the start of, of August. Yeah. There was a time. I was too young, but I had older siblings that were around like 10, 11, in the early to mid-90s when... Uh, MTV was like big and the, I mean their primary focus was music videos it was it was something new it was something different it was something that you eagerly anticipated you wanted to hear these songs but you also wanted to see the direction they went some of them were pretty elaborate some of them were just them on stage singing the song you know, you were always interested to see that type of stuff. And with uh, MTV, it opened up a new world. And this came around when CMT, Country Music Television, came about, the Nashville Network, TNN. Like, they all were trying to find their own markets of music videos. Although, to be fair, with uh, TNN, it was more Southern stuff, and they really banked on Southern culture from, like, 81 through 2000. But it was so appealing, and they started to add in shows in the 80s. It's hard to imagine, but they did have shows back then. It just wasn't overplayed stuff. And they had they had cartoon stuff. They had sporting stuff. Like, they covered a lot of bases. And unfortunately, you look at where they are now, and they still focused on music videos here and there in the 90s and 2000s, but it was dwindling away because people were not interested in music videos compared to, compared to the old days. Music licensing costs a lot of money. Many networks, many of the probably the record companies, not feeling confident in MTV, in probably ratings altogether. If I had to, if I had to make a guess, multiple factors. I think YouTube really killed MTV because even in like the mid two thousands, they were still airing music videos, but it was like early morning stuff. And at least with the TV shows that they were airing, it wasn't a huge variety. Well, it, it, it was a bigger variety, I meant to say, compared to where we are now. I mean, even like even like five years ago, they were doing pretty decent with airing multiple things. Now these days, it's basically the ridiculousness network. Followed by, hey, here's the same Adam Sandler film. Oh, here's the Friday trilogy. Oh, here's the Bad Boys films. Like, they don't even try anymore. 
Viacom don't even try anymore. Oh, here's Bar Rescue. Oh, here's Two and a Half Men. Oh, here's Raiders of the Lost Ark for the millionth time. Oh, Comedy Central. Here's The Office. Oh, here's We're the Millers. The thing is, I like some of these films. I just don't need them on all the time. It's a shame with MTV. It really is. You know, I just wish they would at least maybe try and put in some music videos or at least try to cut out a lot of ridiculousness. You don't need three spin-offs of it. Ran over. I probably will rant more sometime in the near future. <laughs> uh, move on to games. Uh, last part of the uh, bonus episode. So, there's a couple things coming out. There's going to be an OLED version of the Nintendo Switch coming out at some point. I think, I think it comes out... If it doesn't come out next year, it's going to be... I want to look at that. OLED... Yeah, here it is. OLED Switch. <sighs> when is it coming out? Oh, it's been out already. So it's small stuff like better battery light, uh, better storage capacity, better resolution stuff. I think people have been wanting a uh, wanting a uh, like a Switch Pro, and people being pretty disappointed for the most part. But it will make money because hey, there's going to be people that are going to double dip, or they think it's going to be substantial enough of an improvement. Uh, around the same time, uh, Steam Deck got announced. A portable version of Steam. For $400, you could get, I believe, a 64 gigabyte version of of it. You could put in operating systems as well. I believe you could put Windows on there and several other ones. Steam Deck. <sighs> Man, it's supposed to come out Christmas time. Uh, where else is there? But yeah, like I think it's like six hundred dollars for go to PC Gamer for a minute. Where are you? You can you can play it on a TV, probably with like HDMI or something, if I had to guess. Um. Yeah, 512 gigs, I think, for $600. I mean, it'll be interesting, but... I think, like, 64 gigs, like, $400. So, for for your small indie-based games, that might do. But if you're looking for, like, bigger stuff... I think you could put more storage in there as well, if I remember correctly. At least that's from what I remember reading... But yeah, it, I just worry about if there's going to be upgrades down the road because it'll work with most PC games, but what happens when there's a game that doesn't work for Steam Deck? And the other thing I would be a little hesitant about is uh, 
Steam not supporting it fully. There's been a couple instances, I think it's been mentioned, I think the Steam controller didn't even last a year in support, and there was like one or two other things Valve supported, then ditched pretty quickly. I don't think this is going to be ditched completely. I think it'll be around for at least a couple of years. I think you're going to see a bit more support for it compared to some of other projects that uh, Steam has done or Valve has done. It's not going to it's not going to kill the switch. I think I think it'll be a decent alternative. I don't see a lot of people double dipping for it. I think people are more, are going to be comfortable with their laptops and their uh and their desktop computers. I don't see I don't see it really it'll do well, but I don't think it'll do bigger numbers that I think some fans are clamoring it'll do. Uh, big news out of uh, Activision Blizzard: a big lawsuit. This was this was at least three, four weeks ago of, of the culture at Activision Blizzard uh, being the result of a two-year investigation by the state of California. That's bad news. For frat boy culture, uh, just a lot of harassment of women, uh, a story of a woman committing suicide after finding out uh, on a business trip of a guy bringing in like butt plugs and I believe lube. Uh, the CEO, I believe, of Blizzard saying some pretty bad things to the point where even former employees called him called the person out just such a mess and yeah plenty of employees walking out they're going to lose a lot of money and there's a lot of boycotting uh sponsorships for Overwatch being pulled out and just how does it escalate to it? There's probably more than just two years of harassment. So there's probably much more that goes back to probably this decade, 2000s, probably much more. I think I think Blizzard's going to have to do a lot of rebuilding if they want to clean up their toxic culture. And the last thing I'll bring up is... Uh, Grand Theft Auto. So, Rockstar and Take-Two might potentially be remastering GTA 3, GTA Vice City, and GTA San Andreas. There have been a lot of takedowns of various mods for those games. And potentially, it could be that the remasters are going to be coming out and they're going to put these games back in the spotlight you know it's going to make its way from what I've read from places like Kotaku and this is this is big news to the point where even Forbes is even talking about it uh, going to make its way to PS4 PS5, Xbox One Xbox Series line I believe uh, computers will get it later uh, along with I believe iOS or Android I forget which one and could make its way to 
the Nintendo Switch. That's a big deal. They haven't had any mainline GTA games on any of their consoles. Huge win, if that's true. People are going to really, if they just, I think if they work on the controls and the graphical power, uh, I think people will enjoy it, I think, a bit more compared to the original versions. But the original versions, I thought, were pretty good. They Some parts have aged kind of badly, but eh, that's what happens when you play some of these 20-year-old games. I think they should have remastered the first two games. I think those games definitely could use a little bit of work. Uh, especially the first one. But that's just me. Uh, I do wish... Uh, they would Rockstar would think about some of their other franchises or create some more original franchises of their own. I would love to see an L.A. Noir sequel or maybe see some other type of games get made. Uh, especially with uh, GTA uh, 5 losing online in December for PS3 and 360. No shark cards can be bought after mid-September on those two systems, so get make the best of what you can before they shut down. And it's going to be, I think there's like a couple other games as well that could be getting the shutdown on the 360 as other companies try to get into the mold of uh, being on Xbox One and uh, Series Line and of course, you know, stuff like PS4, PS5. Man, when uh, Console Buyer's Guide episode comes in November, definitely will speak my thoughts on uh, how many more years I think PS4 and Xbox One have. I have a feeling we're going to see a few more years left before they are abandoned on the digital sites. But that's just my take. So, I'll end this episode here. Uh, like I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can find us on Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Breaker. Head on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Over 80 plus episodes. So that was bonus episode number four for Geeks and Jocks. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Continue to stay safe. Take care of yourself. Take care, everyone.